Who? The Beast Below. I'm Kerb Woodbridge. I'm Sarah Burrow. I'm PG Bell. And I'm Swithin Dobson. So we return to Doctor Who and to Series 5, which we missed out on several commentaries for. So we're going back and filling the gaps. So we're back at the start of Stephen Moffat's uh, run on the show. And uh, what were your first impressions of this episode? Well, I actually thought it was rather good, in, <laughs> unlike <Shots> most <laughs> most other people. I, I, I liked it. It had something to say. It was quite amusing in parts. It falls to pieces at the end, but everybody knows that. But it has its guns set at the right targets. It works. It's interesting. It's not just scary for the sake of it. It's not just, just running around because we like running. It's really something there and is interesting. Now, in one way, that's rather surprising in that Swiffin liked a New Who episode. Uh, on the other hand, he likes one of the ones that, in fan opinion, is somewhat less well-received. So Swiffin's being contrarian, in his opinion, so completely unsurprising. <laughs> yes. Um, I don't remember this episode at all, so come back to me at the end when I've watched it okay. again, and then I'll tell you what I think of it. Uh, I, I think Swiffin raises some good points, um, because... I, I was divided on this one. It's got some really great sequences and some great ideas. I think it tries to pack a bit too much in. It disappointed on a lot of levels in the final reckoning, and I think Swindon's right, it does fall apart at the end. But having had about a year and a half to digest it, I'm quite looking forward to seeing it again and uh, just seeing what a fresh yeah, reviewing brings to it. Yeah, yeah, a lot to like, so I'll, I'll, I'll reserve judgment until the end, I think. Mm. I'm going to have to, because it obviously was very memorable, because I can't remember <laughs> it at all. I vaguely remember she runs around in a, a dressing gown. That's about all I can remember, so. Yes, very Arthur Dent. I quite like this one. I do think it doesn't quite hit all the beats it was aiming for. It's, it's not entirely successful, but still very good and still a lot mm. to enjoy. It's it's an episode that's perhaps underrated uh, by fans uh, overall, and it's a really good episode. I just think it uh, perhaps suffers slightly coming down from the high of the 11th hour, which was a really good opener. Mm. Uh, and although this is uh, good, it's not quite to the same standard. It does show that the whole thing of when you're writing as the showrunner, then perhaps you can't keep up the same level of consistency as uh, when Stephen Moffat was writing just uh, one story a season and the expectation that Stephen Moffat would be able to deliver a blink every episode was perhaps slightly misplaced. Uh, but let's get started. Oh, and just to apologise, we, we do have a lower audio quality than usual due to a malfunction with our regular microphone uh, or with my... Gremlins uh, in the works. Yeah, or with my netbook, more to the point, I think, is the problem. But anyway, it's not working, so we're back to our trusty dictaphone. Um, but uh, yes, uh, apologies if the... Uh, sound quality isn't up to the usual standards. Our voices are just in soft focus. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening along at home, uh, please press play.
now. So here we go, and we see the tower block Surrey. Going to the Moth episode, it starts with looking at a child who looks somewhat frightened. <laughs> we know not why, but he is, and this is obviously ominous with the choir. Is it choir or is it synthesizer in the background? Possibly a synthesizer choir. <laughs> he wants to be Tom Hanks, but he realises it's not going to work when he goes to see Zoltar. <laughs> I want to be big. No, Timmy, bad. And here we have. Uh, the Smiler, as they're called. Mm. An awful name. Yes, yeah, so we'll have to walk around. Walk to That's twenty six. Can't find a place with a zone. You know what? So the mysterious below. One of the ones. Lollipop, lollipop men <laughs> are a lot creepier in the future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is it supposed to be lollipop man? Well, no, he's the really. sort of, he's the one he's helping him on the lift, isn't yeah. he? So, the there's elevator. a very retro-British vibe with the underground-style elevators. Yeah, mind the doors. Mm. Oh, and the late, and the girl from the, um... From the test card. Test card. Cre- creepy child on uh, a television screen. It must be a Moffat episode. <laughs> Where, where are Moffat Bingo oh, cards? We, we need to redo all Moffat Bingo things. Really, just tick. We, we were talking um, in our 11th hour commentary about how in Series 5 Moffat was deliberately aping Russell T. Davis's style and format in this episode, in this series. Um, and it's particularly in evidence here where you've got the opening episode on present day Earth, then you've got the next episode in the far future, followed by an historical, um, <coughs> a celebrity historical at that. Um, just to try, you know, again, to demonstrate the breadth and the width and the potential of the show to a new audience. I mean, he really is re-establishing things, but very much in the Russell T. Davis mode of doing things. Yeah, it follows a similar pattern to uh, Rose, The End of the World, The Unquiet Dead. Mm. Um, and following immediately on in terms of the companion. Uh, and here we have Amy floating in space. And not suffocating? Yeah, and completely defying the laws of physics and not exploding. Well, well it, it mentions that atmospheric bubble. Uh, In which case, it would still be visible, wouldn't it? You'd be able to see where the air, the air meets the edge of the bubble. Yeah. And they've really? extended the air shell, apparently. Nice reference to dark in space yeah. historical period there, which is at the, set at the same time. That was uh, Tom Baker story, of course. Uh, Sorry, I thought for a moment it was talking about the Ark. No, <laughs> that's not. Rather than the Ark is based. Because there's uh, quite a few stories that have the whole idea of um, uh, arcs in space going out from the Earth, migrant generation starships, uh, that kind of thing. 
As an aside, isn't it Ark the first to use time travel as a, as a proper plot device? Yeah, I think it's yeah. one of... The, the, the chase the, does, but not really. It's not used in the same the way. time metal as well. Universal sets on, on one time. Yeah. Time it's the it's, concept is it's, it's, time change. Mm. The Ark uh, William Hartnell story was the first story where they travelled um, in time in the same story, staying in the same place. So it had them at the start of this spaceship's journey to a new planet and then arriving back in exactly the same place a hundred years later and seeing the consequences of what had happened uh, before. Which worked remarkably well, because at the time um, you only had the individual story titles, so you wouldn't have known uh, how long the story was. So when they get in the TARDIS at the end, it's like, oh, it's the end of the story. It's only been two episodes, but oh, well, perhaps it's just a shorter story. And then they arrive back. It also has a live elephant in the studio, which is cool. <laughs> oh, there's a little pop lady. There yeah, are. there we go. I haven't changed. It is a very much of a British and mashup. And the bunting. Yeah. yeah. And visually, I, I think it encapsulates everything really, There's really a, well. There's mm. a red post box. Yeah. And some rickshaw. Yeah, yeah. some rickshaw. But you had the London Underground sign over the mm. lifts and the London transport benches in the corridor. Mm. Um, but in the corridor of, what, of what's obviously a very Victorian mm. school. If you compare this to The Long Game, which is a very similar setting, mm. and just visually it's a lot more accomplished, um, it's got much less of a sense of uh, just being a studio set. And, yeah. um, so. I love the line here, it's an escaped fish. <laughs> Matt Smith is really good. It also is establishing the character of the Doctor through Amy's eyes. Mm, quite effectively as well. Mm. She's definitely taken a back seat so far. And it's the demon headmaster. Oh, oh, of course. Completely oh, wasted. But, yeah. mm. Oh, now there's a face that's haunted my childhood. <laughs> well, that's probably exaggerating slightly, but I did enjoy watching those stories. It's Terence something. Terence Hardiman. Hardiman, that's it. I mean, the demon headmaster, to be fair, was always a low-rent version of uh, the master from Doctor Who, the sort of hypnotic evil mastermind. This is, again, very visually arresting, this image of the mask and all the glasses. In that respect, it is slightly similar to Girl in the Fireplace. Mm. Um, yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, the kind of 18th century masks yeah, type things. And... The doctor conspicuously not answering the question of whether he's a parent. Which is odd, given that he told us well, way back in fear that he I was had a, been a parent. Yeah. 
which means it's everywhere these days. <laughs> you do you do have Moffat's trademark one nine as this that's some really good ones in this episode. Interesting that they, they haven't really revisited the concept of the Doctor's pickpocket mm. in this incarnation because it was established well, back in the T V movie, one of the things I really liked about Paul McGann's Doctor was that very, very quickly they established that he was quite an accomplished pickpocket. <laughs> which fitted in love yeah, beautifully because mm. it's such a doctory thing to have him do, but I can't think of any previous instances where he actually, you know, lifted things from people. <laughs> I do like the fact that he's trying to establish this new identity. Like the, uh, for Amy, so yeah. I never get involved. Yeah, in never get involved with anyone else. Unless there's children crying. Yes. That covers a lot of bases, really. <laughs> I'm sure in most of these things you could find a child crying. Mm. Yeah, it, it is always interesting, the Doctor's uh, thing of um, when he chooses to get involved or not, because you do have a rather um, arbitrary line between um, what's a historical event uh, which he can change or not. Yeah. It's like um, in the new series, of course, they've introduced the hand waving about fixed points in time, just so they can say he's allowed to change this bit or he isn't allowed to change this bit, depending on. The Basically, any any tragic event that is suitably famous is deemed to be a fixed point in time. Mm. Little reference to Magport, Magpie Electrics. Mm. Um, Idiot's Lantern in series two. And the classic electric um, um, working cover yeah, is used quite well in um, the Mind of Evil when the Master uh, uh, dressed himself up as, as an electrician guy working on ah, his little cool. house. Um, <laughs> and the Doctor and Ace hid from a Dalek in, one, in Remembrance of the Daleks. The Scottish have their own ship, we hear. Yes, that's interesting because we were told at the beginning that it's the. United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland mm. on a ship, um, and it uses the complete Union flag, so you should technically lose the cross. Is it St Andrew? The well, flag and well, perhaps the ship is still under the um, rule of the thing. They've just so the United Kingdom is still a thing. It's just yeah. that all of the, the Scottish Scots. people refuse to get on board. <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> it's the Federated Kingdom of uh, the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Or maybe they heard about the, the solar storms coming on and thought Scotland might actually be sunny for us and stayed up, stayed at home. I, I do like the way it establishes Amy as uh, having that kind of inquisitiveness and curiosity. Mm. Does that quite well here? Yeah. I mean, this is quite a new thing in, in New Who for them. He just—he's left her alone. He's just wandered off. Mm. Um, you know, usually. Usually, don't wander off. Yes, oh, don't uh, wander off. Stay in the car. Oh no, that's the wrong TV series. <laughs> Stay in the car, Amy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stay in the car, this Amy. Oh, and here we have some tentacle thingy. Oh, can you class that as the first Star Wars reference? 
How so? Uh, well, it's not really like that, but in the um, garbage um, thing in oh, the original really? episode. The, yeah. the, the, the bit, yeah, the bit later know. on is much more of a reference. Yeah, I was, I was kind of reading that back in, having known that there are many, many, many Star Wars references in this. And Sophia Conedo, who plays Liz Ten, uh, was of course a companion to the other Ninth Doctor. That played by Richard E. Grant in the web uh, animation Scream of the Schalke. Yes, and she was really good in that as well. That's written by Paul Cornell, wasn't mm. it? And it got unbound from continuity when the yeah. new series came along. The massive irony, because the BBC announced that he was officially the, the ninth Doctor <laughs> yeah. about a month before Rusty <laughs> Davis announced the new series. Clearly, your left hand not knowing what the right hand was doing at the time. If, if you've gone to the trouble of building a dummy power coupler, I'm sure you'd just couple it. And not have anything go through it. Yeah. That, that 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 does make sense. I do think this episode is quite well paced in terms of um, setting questions and then answering them, yeah. uh, posing more questions. So it's just a shame that the answers are largely nonsense. <laughs> yeah, because because normally you'd have like a little. He does the the uh, water twice, doesn't he? Normally it happened once early on, mm. and then turned out to be a reveal towards the end. Yeah. But it is very clearly telegraphed mm. at the beginning and then carries its way through. Um, so I'm wondering what is actually powering the ship. I do quite like the, the, the tower box things with Surrey and Devon. Yes. Mm. And things works. Each county gets its own pyrrhoids. Which I'm sure, I'm sure the uh, rest of the world might not get as particularly well. Even if it's at the home counties, they would be a bit stuck, probably. This, of course, um, aired around the time of the British general election. It did. When uh, the uh, Conservatives and Lib Dems, the Com Dems, as some people call them, uh, got into bed together. (laughs) the first time he's revealed what her middle name is? I think so. Oddly, it says 1308 on the screen. Do you reckon they changed it? Was it an off-script thing? Do you reckon it was what? Um, I don't know. Martha status <laughs> unknown. This is whether Rory's or dead or not dead or dead and alive at the same time. Mm. <laughs> Rory is the space whale. <laughs> That's the shocking twist. Aww, no. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> it's, it's like Captain Jack evolved into the face of Bo, Rory just evolved into the space one. <laughs> Makes about as much sense. Yeah. <laughs> Protest or forget. I do like the commentary just on... Uh, 
apathy and uh, not questioning and so on. It, it's quite nicely done. And, and, and also the, the brilliant setup that, yeah, we're really kind of keeping to some bill of rights of some description here with, with, a, with um, the way we're running. We're just going to put you into one cubicle once, though, and we're trying to give you as much pressure as what to forget. Mm. So everything is technically legal, which, of course, it always is in police states. Everything <laughs> that Stalin did would have been legal under, under the... I, well, maybe not that quite. But basically, most, of, most political dictators' stuff is actually technically legal. Under it's, e it's easy to be technically legal when you're the ones making the laws. Oh, yeah, you know, Stan was saying he was always voted in. 100%, 99% of the... In all fairness, if she chooses to protest... Surely she's not going to get very far, because they're the ones locking in a room. Well, so I don't quite know how they ever get the chance to well, I test, really. Maybe it's supposed to be a... You can do it, but of course you won't. Um, type thing. And you, you could see the video as kind of a behavioural conditioning thing, because she mm. seems to, as like a, a reaction, immediately press forget, rather than actually thinking about... It's um, also playing on the Moffat trope of memory, mm. which she's very fond of. Mm. And we don't see what she's forgotten either. We're getting it from Amy's perspective, as it were. Voting age has been lowered to 16. <laughs> yeah, the, the SMP are trying to do that in Scotland. <laughs> Once every five years. Democracy in action. Oh, indeed, yeah. <laughs> well, that's what democracy is. You vote once every five years, and the government, get, the government gets into power. Yeah, so they do get to make the choice more than once. Yeah, once every five years. Yeah. It seems to be everybody can do it pretty much con continuously, though. I'd expect they probably get the population in... Not everybody it's, it's, it's not everybody at, no, at no. five years. Um, ah, here we have the whole last of the Time Lords bit. Yeah, uh, but it's a, a lot more downplayed than Russell T's 80s. Here we'd have um, David Tarrant emoting into the middle distance going, I'm, the I'm a Time Lord, the last of the Time Lords. the orchestral strings <laughs> sort of... <laughs> and a little tear trickles down. Darkened, <laughs> darkened room, backlit. <laughs> yes. Slow, subtle, subtle halo at this time. There is a similar line from the Ents in Lord of the Rings. In the film. <laughs> the last of the ends. I, your, I like the whole... impression reminded me. <laughs> I do like the whole line about taking down the government. Because I think... Um, I, I do really like it when the Doctor is a... Um, subversive, a revolutionary, bringing down the system. Um, it appeals to the anarchist in me. Oh, Lancashire. That's <laughs> such an inappropriate joke. Yes. Saying that Lancashire is a minging dump. <laughs> I mean... Sort of from Lancashire, I protest. Uh, as do I. I mean, if you said Yorkshire, that would have been fine. <laughs> it was Not Bradford, well, you know, it's... 
What do you expect, really? Birmingham? <laughs> Sorry, James. <laughs> yeah. Birmingham as well. This, this is a very Star Wars-esque down into the... Yeah. Which is what I was mentioning before, but yeah. Yeah, no, this one down into this the rubbish dump, is. yeah. Um. <laughs> I do like Matt's <laughs> Could be worse. You could be in a rubbish dump. It's about to squish you. Oh, it's yeah. I think Matt Smith is is quite hyper, but it it seems um, a little more believable than it sometimes is in later episodes. Um, mm. I think. Uh, sometimes, uh, in some of the later ones, it, he's a little too self-consciously zany. But I, I do quite like just his... He just seems genuinely enthusiastic and surprised yes. by things. He reminds me a lot of our friend Dave Williamson. Ah, Dave Williamson, <laughs> the new doctor. We have to get him on the podcast. Yeah, he's the smiliest Irishman you will ever meet. <laughs> I'd forgotten how many one-liners are in here. Oh, oh, that was Jairo that was used in the series. Wasn't it used in the series Flash Forward um, trailer? Yeah, I mean we had a couple of Geronimo. Oh, there's yeah. a few. Because uh, at the end of the end of time. Yeah, of course. It became a bit of his sort of allonsie, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Have we had an episode in which a companion has been around just in her, um, or his, um, dressing gown? We've definitely seen dress- dressing gowns before, but not Tenant's, the entirety. Tenant spells, spends the first of his episodes in his dressing gown. Mm, that's true. Mm. Um, Tenant's incarnation in, in Someone Come to My Aid in the name of the episode. The Christmas Invasion. Thank you. I got as far as Christmas. That was all I could remember. And he gets his hands chopped off. It's never quite Ooh. clear exactly what they do do to people. Yeah, it just look menacing. Again, it's, it's we're going to frown at you, frown it's you to death. Moffaty, we'll, we'll, we'll just scape. Let's say make a huge amount of sense, <laughs> but we'll just have it there anyway. They would have been more threatening had they got within ten meters of the Doctor and Amy as well. So they'd barely got out of the cupboards when Liz Ten shot them. There. Or if they'd been slightly quicker. Yes, she's always a. I think it's interesting, though, uh, with um, In Doctor Who magazine in their um, companion to Series 5. They have have a bit detailing stuff uh, edited out and things from shooting scripts. And I think that uh, quite quite a few of the pieces that would have made this more satisfying would have joined some of the dots both in terms of plot and character, were written, in some cases filmed, but they uh, kept um, edited a lot of them out for whatever reason. So there seems to have been a conscious decision on someone's part to keep things moving quickly and not to slow it down with 
too much character or explanations in the same with uh, Victory of the Daleks to some extent. Because well, apparently there is a terrific deleted scene at the end of the 11th hour that bridges mm. it directly into this episode um, in which the TARDIS shows Amy a lot of the past companions and she asks the Oh yeah, that was when the extras travelled with people before and he goes, oh some and she says, were any of them women? And he goes, oh, one or two perhaps and then the TARDIS scanner starts showing them here, Perry in a bikini and Leela in leather thongs we're discovering that there's a uh, creature from the pit. Your first Liz turn reminds me a little bit of, you'll love this one soon, um, River Song. She has that sort of feel that River Song has to her. When we first meet River Song, we don't know anything about mm. what she's, she is. She's a mysterious action she's heroine. Got, yeah, she's got a similar feel to it. Could, 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 that, right. could that be a Moffat trope then? Mysterious action heroine. And I don't mind that, because I quite like River Song when she did that bit. It was the whole, mm. the rest of her arc that I got a bit fed up with, but... It was when she stops then, and she says, and down, and she turns and shoots the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The gun thing, obviously, is another theme. Women with guns, which probably is a theme, too. Do you, do you think this is making any comments either pro or anti-monarchy because you do have the whole abdicate button thing coming up later yeah. I, it's hard, I was considering this um, before we started recording for all of its left wing revolutionary um, anti-establishment tendencies Doctor Who has always fought shy of actually attacking the monarchy directly mm. in fact it always seems to be slightly fond of the monarchy as an institution. Yeah. Well, always on a slightly impersonal, pally, you know, gentle ribbing level, but you, you could never imagine the Doctor trying to unseat the monarch. You can imagine him criticising individual monarchs for, you know, being particularly callous or heartless, but uh, he would never actually... I don't think he would ever dream of... Yeah, of overthrowing or undercutting the monarchy as an institution. I think, think with this... I think it says less about the monarchy and more about the general affection, whether it's warranted or not, for the present queen, mm. rather than the monarchy itself, hence Liz Ten. Yes. Um, I think that is... Because Elizabeth II has turned up at least twice in Doctor Who, hasn't she? She's in Silver Nemesis. Um, and she's very briefly in Voyage of the Damned when the yeah. Titanic... Yes. She waves and thanks the Doctor yes. as the Titanic. Yes. Thank you, Doctor! <laughs> And we were just told that he's had tea and scones with, with her. So, uh, and I've been listening to The Marion Conspiracy, one of the early Big Finish audios, where oh, yeah. Colin Baker goes back and meets, uh, meets Mary. Uh, Bloody Mary, in fact. And is terribly um, deferential and respectful and uh, does not act as you imagine the Doctor, and particularly the Sixth Doctor, would necessarily act. With, yeah, you know, around someone he, he disagrees with quite strongly in some cases. Yeah. But I don't know, I, I think, as, as Swithin said, it's, it's fondness, particularly for the current monarch. Um, but the monarchy as an institution is treated in Doctor Who in the same way it treats Route Master buses and Red 
um, post boxes and, and London Underground it's kind of signage nice, and nice like that. It's well, it's 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 a fond affection mm. for part of the. It's almost as if the monarchy is part of the aesthetic of British culture. It's very much part of the past rather than part of the future. Well, well no, well, she's still well, here very much not, well, in the future. In, yes, in a literal sense, but not not really. It's the obvious is quite a kitsch. It's it's it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nostalgia kick, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. More so. It's cosy. Although it, it, the, the monarchy in Doctor Who is always cosy. Although the, there is one bit. Uh, Elizabeth first appears in the chase. I think Shakespeare has a, doesn't particularly get on that well with her. I seem to remember at that point. It's on one of the tracks. She's in the chase. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Wow. I think she is. Well, Shakespeare's definitely in the chase. I'm sure it's something to do with her. I can't try to remember that. Of course, um, Tennant marries Elizabeth I, we're told, in the end. Well, it's it's implied um, in The End of Time. Hmm. Uh, and then. When the he Shakespeare. goes a bit crazy with the whole time of Victoria's stuff. And in the Shakespeare code, um, she turns up at the end and we're told that he's a mortal enemy. Because we, we, we got a reference to that um, just now to the um, Elizabeth the First thing mm. and the uh, Virgin Queen. Queen. Yeah. Oh, you bad boy. <laughs> or something like that. Suggesting that the title is not quite so fitting anymore, I think. Well, apparently that was, a lot, it was quite a late... Uh, reading. Well, not, not entirely late, but that was built up after you got quite a bit older, and mm. there was lots of earlier kind of paintings and things which kind of saying, yes, she's available. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's when you're trying to marry her off to powerful foreign monarchs. Mainly Spanish monarchs <laughs> at the time. For strategic purposes. I think it's quite nice with this in that is, maybe it's a comment on the constitutional role of the monarchy in that she doesn't really know everything that's going on. She's kind of number two, even though she's technically number one. Mm. She's in n- number one in name only, yeah. it would seem. Bends the classic, go undercover, slightly, and figure out what's actually going on. She's been used in many things. It does seem to be, I mean, in Doctor Who, but in British fiction as a whole, this... Almost this longing for the monarch to actually take a more proactive role and become a leader, but a figure of just... I imagine it goes back to always King Arthur, mm. really. Uh, the idea of the monarch as a leader, but a fair and just and democratic leader. But That's still very much a monarch. I think it's the only part of kind of the British past which people still have some, at least, implicit faith in, so if things are going wrong, we'll turn to that. Um, especially when the president's uh, governmental things aren't doing too well. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot it's of yeah. political disillusionment at the moment just with the whole uh, financial situation and everything else. Space. This, this does remind me a lot. I've been playing a lot of uh, Mass Effect uh, too recently, and um, it does remind me of some of the kind of dilemmas that they uh, give you in that. And um, the moment where Naomi realises what is going on and sort of jumps in, it does remind me of the... Uh, Para, uh, it's like her paragon interrupt because you sometimes get moments where you get a flashing symbol and you can either uh, 
interrupts the situation by doing some de- uh, decisive uh, paragon or renegade action. Um, and uh, it, it, it reminds me a lot, a lot of, of that. Do you think this is a common commentary on uh, British manufacturing and services? The fact that the whole of the rest of the planet has evacuated and only Britain is still sitting mm. there incapable of building its own spaceship. <laughs> we can't even get the engines to sort of it. It's got a lasso of space work. This, I think, at this point demonstrates um, something obviously quite different to Moffat and um, Rusty Davis's. Uh, Moffat's a real softy underneath. Mm. When 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 he gets him, he's really squidgy. He's, Whereas he's, he's much more of a romantic. Very 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 squidgy romantic as well. R- RTD is quite hard nosed and cynical yeah. when it when it comes to for all his bombast mm. and his and his attention. It has been said that Russell, Rusty Davis was sort of deliberately overcompensating, trying not to let the cynical mm. edge the show, show through too much. But he's very hard. Sorry, I'm completely. Going back to the episode here. No, no, no. Um, so he's quite it? hard on Amy here. Mm. It reminds me of uh, Willy Wonka in in the film. Yeah. 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 The um, original. Yeah. Film. There's a doctor laying down the law on how she should vote now in a democracy. Yeah. Which is good. Well, maybe but it's the be... idea that she made the decision for him. It's not that she made his decision not. Are we moved by the plight of the Star Whale, by the way? No. Um, by Star Whale, I mean that little CGI circle of brain. I'm more, more concerned about the Doctor's, the whole choice between mm. humanity and the alien. Yeah. I'm not really bothered who the alien is. No. But the, his idea that this dilemma's nice, his dilemma... Like I said, it, I'm not really bothered who the two sides are. And this is nice because it's the first time we see um, the Eleventh Doctor mm. getting angry. Mm. Yeah. And it's nice to see that Matt Smith do this because obviously up until this point he has been the somewhat manic, you know, slightly ADHD Doctor. Um, and it's nice to see that he can do the the harder stuff. He does say, if, 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 you, if you fail your sort of end-of-term tests, <laughs> then do, we, do you automatically get sent to the slave pits in the heart <laughs> of the... It seems so. Yeah. That's what the education system needs. I slave you, pits in the Tower of London. I tell you what, my kids would be so much better if they were sent there. <laughs> if they failed. By your kids, you mean the kids you teach rather yeah. than your offspring. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not my... Although since our last podcast, you have you have made quite a major announcement. Yes, yes, I have. I have actually made a child. <laughs> I think. In my I laboratory. Think, I think Helen. Yeah, I think Helen had something to do with it. Yes, Hel- Helen is helping. Yes, helped. Uh, I think Helen is doing the majority. I think that's also true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Thank you very much. And this is where I got really annoyed. It's her paragon interrupt. It's her look through the back and realise the monstrous error of her way, of the ways, and how the whale is their friend, and loves yeah. them dearly. It's just all a bit... It's like, if, if, 
you know, when you're building the ch- you know, the the choice in the election booth up to be something so horrifying that the entire nation has to expunge it from its memory, I want something a bit meatier than the nice cute whale is in a bit of pain. Oh, you said it. I know. It, it is, it is. Right? I don't care if it's the last of its mean, kind, really. I, I, I haven't met the space whale. Oh, I, 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 I just, no. if it's a choice between that and the whole of Britain getting roasted by solar flares. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, that's the right, thing, it that isn't. Because well. it's come to help. Well, yes. Yeah, I but it didn't really... I'm sorry to know that. that it? it's, yeah, I don't know, it's like... If, if they've got Barney the dinosaur tied up and they're torturing him. Oh, they're like, brilliant, just keep doing it. I love you. <laughs> and we I hate love you, you Great Britain. <laughs> I'll carry you to the stars. <laughs> I hug you, you hug me. Oh, We're a why are you torturing me? <laughs> Barney's just dead. To, just because we can, Barney. <laughs> I think that Barney is the new name for the space world. Open government. <laughs> I believe that was an episode of Yes Minister. It was indeed. <laughs> There's a space world in Yes Minister. <laughs> <laughs> this one does um it does set Amy up as she's a lot more of an independent companion than certainly than Rose mm. was. Donna, yeah, even Donna really. I mean, Martha had a bit more because obviously the first time you see her, she's a doctor in a hospital, so there's some... The, the doctor's on her turf. Yeah, whereas Amy is very confident in something that she has no idea. Like you just said, she could have killed everyone on the ship, mm. you know. Whereas a lot of the time the, the companions are going along going, oh, I'm not quite sure what's going on here. I'm in the middle of yeah. space. and I'm, I'm surprised actually know. by just how much I like Amy... Straight off yeah. the bat in this story, she's yeah. a lot stronger. I think she's a lot stronger here than she is later on in in this same series. In, I mean, particularly when we get to the angel two parties and she's sort of propositioning the doctor and throwing mm. herself at every man who comes, not every man, who comes yeah, along, but throwing herself at the doctor time. particularly and and going behind Rory's back. It just mm. it weakens her. Yeah. I'm, and I'm, I'm impressed by just Why a little Why are you cringing in the corner there, oh, Tim? It's just that's too much. I can't stand that. No, that was I, fine. I that think they right. slightly overplay that. They hit, hit you over the head a bit too much with the very, very old and very kind and last of his kind. And the doctor just surveying and being melancholic. And it's just all a bit. Um, but I do like this, that. That's another Star Wars throwback, isn't it? Because there's not one where... Is there not one with Luke? Hmm? Stood. Oh, that's the end of the Empire Strikes Back, isn't yeah. it? Mm, yes. Exactly the same idea, the curves. Yeah, but they don't get a great no, no, speech no. that goes along with it and... No, you do, because isn't that when Leia turns up? I haven't seen him for a long time. And it, I think you do, I think... James will correct us. Well, at the, the end of Empire Strikes Back. James, comment. And that's, that's, on the, that's on the medical frigate when they've just replaced Luke's hand and Leia comes in and they both stare at him. Yeah, exactly. Like, so yeah, yeah, but, the Millennium yeah, but he doesn't say anything. You just look out. No, 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 but there, is a scene, there was a scene where there's two of them. Yeah, I am at least yeah, correcting yeah. that. I, I do like the whole thing of the reason the, that Amy saw it in the Doctor wasn't was that... Uh, because she saw the similarity with the Doctor, which was yeah. something that he wouldn't notice, because it was 
about himself. And that's a nice idea. I'm not a fan of the telephone in the TARDIS, though, that yeah. you have um, the Doctor being called up by Winston Churchill. I think it makes him uh, a part of the establishment in a way that he hasn't been since the Purple years, really. Um, and I do like the next episode, though. Do you? <laughs> yeah. Great. Someone <laughs> All right, okay, I'll rephrase that. I like certain parts of the Oh, no, episode. no, 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 you, don't, you don't have to try and modify <laughs> it. You're allowed to like it. Why on earth did they have to show the whale? That's just... Oh, I don't like that bit. It's, uh, it's a pink, sparkly it's... whale. And the crack flashed. Yeah. yeah. Straight in front. Yeah, I think... Um, yeah, Victory of the Daleks is a great idea, but with a very flawed execution. Yeah. <laughs> Again, it seems Victory of is not stepping on next time. It's, it's not an aesthetic, and that's about it. That's yeah. what it, it kind of plays on. It's got the World War II aesthetic, but doesn't really do anything with it. Um, oh, no, actually, I just remember what that episode is. Oh, you're no, thinking of like a completely it. different oh, right. episode. Yeah, it's alright, I'm keeping a, thinking of a different episode. No. Which episode are you thinking of? The other one with Churchill in, there are two. Oh, the uh, Wedding of River Song. Well, I'm not then, so what am I thinking of? I don't know. No, the, having the just... The end of the series. I don't know. No, it might you, be parts you, of this next one. You're thinking of, of World War Two. <laughs> not just thinking of World <laughs> War Two. No. Funnily enough, Pete, I don't remember World War Two. Really? Because I wasn't there. No, 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 no. But I, know you, I remember it. You well, yeah, that's an, that's understandable too. <laughs> Back in 1943, <laughs> I watched the Dam Busters, so that's about uh, about the same thing, isn't it? And I've watched the World at War on loop for the last ten years. So you've got the History Channel, it's basically. Yeah. <laughs> basically. Oh, there you go. The bit World I like is the Jerry Dodger bit. Yeah. yeah. Just just like watch um, the History Channel for six years, and you'll have had. Um, the entire Second World War several times over, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. There we go. So what did, what did we think on a, on a rewatching, ladies and gentlemen? Well, it's actually not as bad. Well, it's not, I don't remember, I don't remember it at all, so I can't, I can't really say it's not as bad as I remember. It's alright up until the, the main bit wrong with it is the shot of the space well at the end, really. I think you could have bothered without that, but, um, no, it wasn't too bad, actually. I like what it sets up in terms of character development. I think the story's got quite a few flaws, really, yeah. but I think it's mainly it's a vehicle for the development between the Doctor and Amy, really. Yeah. Or certainly yeah. the setting up as Amy, of Amy as a companion. It it isn't satisfying particularly, but it is very interesting, mm. and it keeps promising an awful lot, and it delivers on on some of the promises. Mm. Um, I think I can't help thinking that. Had they had an extra 15 minutes to play with, had it been an hour long, like the 11th hour, they could have rounded everything out and it would have been a much stronger episode. I mean, if, as, as Kona was saying, if there are bits and pieces that were written and some which were shot, which were cut, then, um, then perhaps that would be They could have taken out the shot of the space world at the end and replaced it with the other bits. The shot of the space world as a whole, I didn't particularly mm. want to. But, yeah. I'm, I, I like the whole idea with the. Um, space well, and I think the shot is fine in theory. I think as an effects shot, um, the glowing 
pinkness and blue <laughs> dots and things. Um, uh, doesn't quite work. I don't, but I do think, um, uh, you need to actually see the space well. I think one mm. of the difficulties with sympathizing with it is that it's mm. quite intangible through most of the yeah. episode. Yeah. Had they shown that it was, I mean, did, did they, I, I, they might have had a line and I missed it. Were we ever told that it was sentience? That it was intelligence? Well, yeah, because it chooses, doesn't it? Yes, but I mean, intelligent on a human level. Um, you know, can it actually communicate? And if, I don't think it's said. No, if, I think if it was just... able to communicate with the government and they purposely ignored it, mm. then I think that would be would have made it much stronger. If it's just yeah. sort of dolphin level. No, I think it's just um, it's well, dolphins are highly intelligent. Well, yeah, they are highly intelligent. <laughs> okay, but if so it was if, able if to it were speak, a person, if it were a character, it's communication, isn't it? Mm. It's um, no, I don't think... Because ultimately it is just a big, sense. dumb, imaginary animal. Yeah. That we're no, I think the idea with. is it is sentient, but yes, it's not able to communicate. The only reason you realise it's sentient is because it makes the choice. When given the choice, you don't ask them... They don't, they're not able to ask it, will you carry on carrying it? They give it, you know, they release it, and then it, it happens to carry on. We're also never quite told how it can discern between... Adults and children no. injected directly into his gullet. They probably taste different, haven't they? Of course. <laughs> so the difference between mutton and lamb. Yeah. So it's moral because it doesn't eat children. Yeah. But eating adults is fine. So do, do, do you think the beast uh, below the star whale can be taken as a political allegory for anything? I heard a suggested reading um, that it's... Um, uh, uh, supposed to represent the working classes or something. We all depend on the beast below, and actually, it's saying that British society is dependent uh, on these, even though we're uh, the uh, upper parts of society exploit and um, can't say everyone thought about and, it. And yeah. appreciate them. There's certainly something in that. I mean, um, obviously, animal right thing is an obvious, yeah. obvious thing. Possibly foreign labour forces in the third world um, is something because it's basically foreign in that sense which the, the, the whale is I wouldn't read too much into it but that general sentiment yeah. would, we, would we didn't be really see much of British society in the episode though did we no. it was not there other than a couple of school children it was the government and the queen and yeah you never saw it. any it's, everyday work no, you, saw, you saw the mechanics of the political establishment but Nothing else. It, it, it's, it's like a, it's a way it's like a postcard of mm. Britain. It's, if you're on holiday, it's very much, in a way, a uh, time tourist type destination. If you were to have London in, I mean, in Britain, you go to, go, go, you know, you have those. Yeah, it's, it's very similar to the way that they did the Christmas, some of the Christmas episodes. It's got, it's got the stamps. So the Christmas episodes had baubles, Santas, mm-hmm. and Christmas trees. This one's got, it's got, Jack Bunting, it's got um, Tower of London, the Tower of London. Mm. Um, even though that's the lowest point in the city, in this, isn't it? Um, it's got the red post boxes. It's got, you know, I can't think of the other things, but those sorts of things. Yeah, it's London, got the London Underground signage and things. Yeah, exactly. So it's got a load of, you know, very obviously visual British things thrown at it. But I think, I think fits slightly better than. Do, do you think the Christmas decorations? But... Do you think the Cornish skyscrapers full of pasties? <laughs> Sponsored by Ginsters. I mean, yeah. it's notable that uh, although um, we have mention of 
Scotland, uh, it's supposed to be Great Britain. Where's Wales? I, I mean, know. Doctor Who is made in Wales. Surely there should be maybe some acknowledgement of the Welsh. Maybe what he's trying to say is that the whole of the UK is dependent on Wales. Oh, did you just think that up for Oh, that's quite impressive. <laughs> uh, well, that answers so, that. Well, yeah, I think that's that one. The whale is Wales. Yeah. 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 No, I, We're not pink and sparkly. I'm not from not, Wales, not but yet. at least living is Wales. Uh, oh, that's... I, I, I'd quite like to see them revisit Starship UK, though. I think it's, mm. it's a good setting for a story. I think you could do more with it. I think this whole idea where he, she, um, Amy hands the, the mask back um, and she says there's no more secrets on Starship UK. The sort of, the dystopian fan in me wants to yeah. sort of go back and that's see, well, that's not going to have happened, is it? You can have, I mean, this is something that the Doctor Who rarely does, where the Doctor comes in and instigates a revolution, mm. directly or indirectly, and then you go back subsequently to see the aftermath. Mm. I know they've done that in some of the spin-off materials, so the novels and the comics and things, but I don't think that's ever really been directly addressed in the series. Wait, well, you, Russell T Davis did do it in series one, didn't he? Yeah, um, sort of. Satellite Five became the game station mm. years later at the end of the series. Yeah, you get it a couple of times, but you get whole new stories based on it, don't you? Really, it's not mm. narratively linked. Mm. Really, it's just more because. But it'd be nice to go back, and it'd be nice to, if lived mm. ten, obviously. Although soon she would age now, wouldn't she? Peter Perv's, um uh, left I? in the. <laughs> I'm referring, of course, to the actor. Oh, Peter Purvis. Right. Uh, um, the, who played Stephen in, uh, Doctor Who, um, in the 60s. He left in the story called The Savages, and his idea for a return episode was for the Doctor to come back and find out that the society he'd left behind had become corrupt as the one he'd overthrown, type of thing. So, uh, yeah, I, I think, um, it's one of those ideas that does, um, have a lot of mileage in it. It can be a bit of a cliche. If not think, done well, but done interestingly, it's got a lot. I think it'd be nice it. to see Liv Ten back, as long as she doesn't become a new river song. Mm. But I think it'd be fun to come back and find the whale just eating everyone. Because <laughs> it's um, a short episode. Because the Queen's still around. Um, uh, how long later is her scene in? Oh, in the Pandora Open. Yeah, because um, that's that, sure. That's supposed to be a few hundred years later, mm. I think, because mm. of her ageing being slowed. Mm. Yeah, she still ends slowly, but she knows how long she's been on the throne now, rather than thinking it's only ten years, doesn't she? Yeah. I don't know, I can't remember. But yeah, I mean, Doctor Who and dystopias could be a good discussion to have. Mm. I quite like dystopias in general. Q, Hunger Games, two weeks' time. <laughs> yes. Q, Mass Effect tomorrow. I know, Olivia's been tweeting. <laughs> Uh, I don't think we're going to hear from her for, well, what, two days? How long is it going to take her to finish it? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know. I think the main, well, I, I imagine she'll be quite completist about. Yeah. Um, I imagine she'll the, complete, the whole, complete the whole thing and then go back, won't she? Mm, so, uh, give her 40 hours of yeah. gameplay. So, uh, it's the weekend. Yeah. There's, there's more than 40 hours in the weekend. <laughs> 
<laughs> you need sleep. <laughs> and on that note, there are there are various reviews now of Mass Effect 3 on our website, aren't there? Yes, we've got the discussion up and no doubt we will put a review up. And yes, no doubt when Olivia has recovered, <laughs> she'll have something to say. Yes. She'll probably have a lot to say, one would imagine. <laughs> it might be a bit coherent though once she's finished it rather than in the middle of playing it. Yeah, <laughs> in the middle of playing it, it'll be like... Uh, yes. <laughs> but yes, stay tuned, faithful listeners. Uh, we will be back soon with Points of Who next week. And if you've got any comments, especially on this episode, what you thought of The Beast Below, whether it's a underrated classic or just a bit of a uh, disappointing fall apart at the end mess. Are you quite happy with the sparkly pink whale? Yeah. Or if you have any other uh, political allegories to read into it, uh, please let us know. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to The Impossible Podcast. For more Doctor Who commentaries, plus other science fiction and fantasy reviews and discussions, please visit our website, impossiblepodcasts.blogspot.com, or search for us on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. Please follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, or email us via impossiblepodcasts at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>